This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, September 19th, 2022. Good afternoon, and thanks for joining us for the Monday edition of the WBBM Noon Business Hour, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Rachel Pearson, filling in for Rob Hart. Many home buyers finding value in fixer-uppers. We'll discuss that in our next segment, but first, the very busy week ahead includes data on jobs, housing, and of course, Federal Reserve policy. Joining us with a preview is Bob Bruska, Chief Economist at Fact and Opinion Economics based in New York, and Bob Bob, uh, it's the main event for investors this week, keeping an eye on the Federal Reserve. Yes, yes, we have other data this week, mostly on housing. But um, yeah, the key thing is the Fed and its expected rate increase. Uh, I'm looking for the Fed to move a full percentage point. Um, the market generally has the Fed moving about three quarters of a percentage point. You know, the inflation data have been worse than what the Fed expected, particularly the core of the CPI. That's the part without the volatile food and energy in it. And on top of that, jobless claims uh, are at a 15-week low. So the job market seems like it's gaining momentum, not slowing. And the monthly numbers for job creation are still very strong. There has been a slight uh, 0.2% increase in the unemployment rate. But generally, what we're looking at here is um, you know, a strong job market. and economy doesn't look like it's slowed that much. Um, I think the Fed needs to be more active. Well, you mentioned inflation data, and I do want to circle back to that because we do have a report on uh, home builder sentiment. And I'm curious if inflation has played into what we're seeing right now. And, and is it a sign that the housing market might be starting to cool off? Well, yeah, the, the, uh, the rise in mortgage rates has had a big impact on the housing market. That's raised mortgage rates a lot. It's helping to subdue the increase in home prices. Um, you know, that, that's only one part of the economy. It's an important part, and, of course, it's hurting other businesses that feed the home industry. But uh, slowing the housing industry is only one thing. It's the economy and the job growth and consumer spending and the pressure on inflation that really is, uh, you know, in the Fed's sights. Aside from uh, home builder sentiment and obviously the announcement expected from the Federal Reserve, what are some other data releases on deck this week? Well, as we get housing data, we have this uh, the NAHB survey out today that was weaker. Uh, we have housing starts uh, tomorrow. We have existing home sales on Wednesday. So uh, a number of those housing reports coming out, I'm looking for those to all continue to be weak. We get another reading on initial jobless claims. Like I said, they're at a 15-week low. We get the leading economic indicators on Thursday and um, some early surveys from S&P on the U.S. manufacturing and services sectors in September on Friday. So it's a bit of a light schedule, and that's why the focus is really on the Fed and what it's going to do. The Fed will release its uh, estimates for the economy, these so-called SEPs, or sometimes DOTS estimates. And so there's going to be a lot of interest in that, quite apart from what the Fed does with policy. 
Thanks so much, Bob Brusca, chief economist at Fact and Opinion Economics based in New York. Discussing the news affecting your money. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. A pricey housing market has some people opting to buy that fixer-upper house to get a good deal. Joining us with what you need to know is Steve Kirch, real estate editor at Market Watch here in Chicago. And Steve, I myself was in this situation buying a home not long ago, deciding, is it worth it to do the repairs myself? So let's first talk about what are some of the pros of uh, investing in a fixer-upper? Uh, good afternoon, Rachel. Well, the the number one advantage to getting a fixer-upper is you're supposed to be getting a break on the price. Uh, a lot of folks these days, uh, knowing it's been a seller's market for quite some time, that may be shifting, but still the sellers seem to have the upper hand. So they're often putting their homes on the market knowing that they're going to get good offers uh, without having to do much of the work themselves. So in a lot of cases, you're going to have to be uh, very careful about your pricing versus how much money you're going to have to put into that house. Well, that's just it. Some of those projects can seem, you know, somewhat simple at first, but I'm telling you, like, you look at your kitchen and you're like, I could do that. And then all of a sudden, it's just adding up and adding up and adding up. And now you're just sitting there uh, in a puddle of debt. Right. And, and obviously, financing, you have to come up with the financing one way or the other for these repairs or you know, the fixes that you have to make. Um, sometimes, you know, you might be selling another house and have the equity from there that can help you out with that. But sometimes you might be having to go in for a more complex mortgage product, something like a bridge loan, where they are financing the repairs ahead of giving you a permanent mortgage on the uh, property. And you can run into interest rate problems there too. So there's there's more, the the deeper you have to go into the fixing upping, the the more complicated the financing gets. Now, I am going to throw this, though, into the pro category. If someone's needing to get into a house and quickly, and they're looking for a fixer-upper, they do somewhat have time on their side in that most of these projects maybe don't need to be done immediately. You could do it at your own pace. Yeah, that's true. I mean, a lot of people are going to, to do repairs or make decorative changes in a home when they buy it anyway. If you have a longer time horizon and you can put in some of your own sweat equity, if you're, if you're good enough, that's a way in which you can build more uh, wealth through your home. And that's actually, uh, you know, over time, again, housing prices have been shown to at least keep up with inflation. So that, that's a pretty good investment in the long run. If you're not that good at it yourself, Make sure before you get into this that you have a contractor who you trust, who you can lock into your project, and who can even go with you on your home tour uh, ahead of time to, to give you some pointers. Yeah, see, while my husband thinks he's a handyman, I know <laughs> that we need that contractor. So thank you for the advice, Steve Kirch, real estate editor at Market Watch here in Chicago. Up next, airlines starting to see the return of the road warrior. Information to make cash and save cash. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. U.S. airlines say they're seeing the return of the business traveler, and that is great news for their bottom line. Joining us with the details is Joe Schwederman, professor of public services and director of the Chattuck Institute at DePaul University here in Chicago. And Joe, was this the surge that the travel industry had been counting on? 
It is good news, and I think what started this whole uh, large discussion, you might say, is Delta reported that uh, a few weeks ago that their business revenue from business travel actually reached 2019 levels, which is a remarkable uh, milestone. They did warn that there's still fewer business travelers, you know, but they're paying higher fares, and that suggests that uh, you know this pivot to leisure may uh, may have some backstop in business, uh, you know, is coming back. Now, you mentioned that they pay higher fares. Is that really what separates a, a business traveler, say, than from someone who's just flying for leisure? Oh, it's a huge difference. And uh, some of the factors are uh, they tend to book at the last minute. They don't want non-refundable fares. Uh, they're often enticed to, to uh, upgrade, you know, to premium economy or business class. So, you know, kind of the rule of thumb is that maybe uh, – um, 40 to 50% of airlines' revenue comes from business travelers on pre-pandemic, even though they may only be about a third of all the passengers. Now, you mentioned, too, that that airlines would certainly like to see more uh, business travel. So if and when do you think business travelers are going to get back to that pre-pandemic habit of, of business travel? Yeah, right now I think the uh, the expectation is that we should hit and stay stable for a little while, perhaps eighty percent of pre-pandemic, which is which is pretty good considering that pre-pandemic you know, things were really strong, and uh, it is coming back. We're seeing consultants uh, begin those visits again to clients after several years of being remote. And then there's this new category, which is a bit of a head scratcher for for analysts called leisure, which is combining business and leisure. And that's really uh, becoming popular. So if you factor that in, you know, uh, uh, airlines are starting to, to cater more with schedules to the business flyer. And, and I'm guessing, too, that there are some factors outside of the actual travel industry at play when it comes to, to the business person. I'm thinking conventions, meetings, things of that nature. Is that also going to make a resurgence? It is. And we saw the convention market come back quicker than traditional business travel, and particularly in uh, Sunbelt locations where the uh, you know, the pandemic restrictions were less severe, but it's coming back everywhere, including here in Chicago, McCormick Place. And and we do know that those constraints on rental cars, uh, which and even hotels, which were still closed or, or restricted, those constraints are lifting. So there's not a lot of reason not to take those business trips anymore. And of course, uh, uh, all of us, uh, many of us have Zoom fatigue. So so clients are feeling a need for uh, that FaceTime again. And the airlines uh, like American United and Delta, this is really good news. Appreciate the insight. Joe Schwederman, professor of public services at DePaul University here in Chicago. Still ahead, the so-called sandwich generation feeling more squeezed now than ever. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. A jury in the case against Sterigenics and its role in a Willowbrook woman's cancer found the company liable and awarded her $363 million. Sue Kamuda took the medical device sterilization company to court, claiming emissions from the plant near her home caused her cancer. The company used the carcinogen ethylene oxide, or EO, to sterilize medical equipment, but said it is not to blame for Kamuda's breast cancer. Kamuda, the first of more than 700 plaintiffs who blame Sterigenics for making them sick. Mark Frerichs, father Art Frerichs, is thanking the FBI and others who helped bring him about his son's release from being held hostage in Afghanistan. They did a tremendous job and they stuck with it. 
and also uh, I give credit to uh, Tammy Duckworth working on the project and uh, um, a Green Beret Michael Waltz who's a, a representative for Florida did a, a whole lot too. Today, President Biden confirmed Farrick's release was part of a prisoner swap. The Lombard contractor was first abducted in January of 2020. Compounding your interest with an economy of words, this is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Well, the stocks have been teetering between gains and losses all day today. Joining us with the latest on what's moving Wall Street is Jim Welsh, a macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios based in San Diego. Jim, let's talk about, uh, help us understand what's behind some of the volatile trading we're seeing today. Well, I think really, uh, Rachel, the market's still recovering from the CPI report last week. The market was down very sharply. So it's kind of like a fighter in the ring who just took a pretty good punch to the head and staggers around for a round or two. And I think that is really uh, what the market is doing, is treading water until the Fed's decision uh, on Wednesday. Well, that's just it. Ding, ding, ding. Round three. We're waiting for the Federal Reserve, right? <laughs> that's really what uh, what investors are keeping an eye on. So I'm curious, let's sort of put this into a timeline. What can we expect uh, stock-wise between now and the Federal Reserve's uh, potential 75 basis point announcement? And then what are going to be some of the repercussions afterward? Yeah, I, I think we're going to see more of the same, Rachel. A lot of bobbing and weaving, trying to avoid another punch. Uh, I think the Fed will go 75 basis points. I don't think they will go a full 1%. And what has been interesting is uh, when the Fed announced its first 75 basis point hike in mid-June, that represented a bottom, a trading low in the market. And I think something similar could also happen here, Rachel. The market is oversold. Sentiment has gotten pretty negative. And I think uh, there's a chance that in uh, Chair Powell's press conference, he's going to reiterate something he said at Jackson Hole, and that is at some point in time, we'll modify the pace and magnitude of rate increases. And I think if he says anything like that at all, that will provide the spark for the market to rebound. Now, energy is also poised to move a bit higher. So I'm curious, do you like any stocks in the energy sector right now? Yeah, I think the energy sector is a good place uh, to – it's just gone through a fairly stiff correction, and that's always a good time to, to uh, look at a stock after it's been down a, a touch or the um, uh, ETF, which is XLE. I think energy prices are going to remain higher than most people expect, primarily because U.S. companies and global globally, the investment in new oil and gas wells has dropped significantly over the last decade. And that just suggests, Rachel, that we're going to see new oil supply remain lower than it has in the past whenever there's been a period of high uh, energy prices, and that should be helpful to the energy stocks. Now, the market has already been pretty hawkish heading into this Federal Reserve meeting, so I'm sort of curious what sectors are, are most attractive to you heading into this announcement. Well, one of the things I think is likely, uh, I believe that Treasury yields are near a high and that we are going to see them decline. So I would look at buying uh, Treasury bonds. Uh, you can do it through the TLT ETF, which has a maturity of about 27 years. I, I think over the next six to 12 months, Treasury yields are going to work their way lower. The inflation rate over the next six months is going to come down, Rachel, by the end of uh, March of next year. I think CPI inflation has a chance of being under 5%. That would be pretty supportive of lower Treasury yields. 
At what point does growth become a buy? It's been pretty hard hit, uh, harder than most, at least in the broader market. I think you have to wait for the Fed to stop raising rates. Uh, I'm not in the camp that the Fed funds rates is going to four and a half or five percent. I think the Fed will pause plus or minus four percent. And the main thing that they've communicated, Rachel, is that they're going to hold the federal funds rate at an elevated level for an extended period of time. And I think that'll come across with the dot plots that are uh, announced along with the uh, rate decision on Wednesday. That's Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios in San Diego, California. Up next, a look at the rising financial burdens being put on middle-aged Americans. It's 60 Minutes of Financial Planning. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Many middle-aged adults are becoming part of the so-called sandwich generation. It's a term that refers to people who are financially supporting both older parents and their grown children. So joining us with some key advice today is Ed Jertsen, certified financial planner and founder of Engage Wealth Group here in Chicago. And Ed, help us paint a picture of, of this individual. Let's talk about them. They're referred to as a, a sandwich generation, a sandwich caregiver. Yeah, one in seven uh, individuals are responsible, as you had said, Rachel, for both their parents as well as their children. That's a really high number. And so ultimately, those are folks between, let's say, 40 and 60 years of age. And and again, they're financially responsible, but there's also the time element as well. You're taking time away from your day-to-day job, from, let's say, focusing on your kids and other things to kind of help yourself and try to navigate too many parties, and that's where that sandwich comes in. You're, you're literally kind of sandwiched in the middle of trying to help these two generations. If we're sticking with the sandwich analogy, how do you get rid of the buns and, and sort of alleviate some of the financial <laughs> burden there? Yeah, so the big thing, what we often guide clients, because this is a common occurrence, is communication is key, right? You want to make sure that as many people who need to be involved are involved, especially when it comes to money and transparency. So, for instance, if if one of your uh, siblings is helping out a parent and there's money involved with, you know, reimbursement or other things, making sure that there's transparency around that element is critically important to keep calm and peace within the family. Well, and let's look at the other side of that sandwich. If you're if you're having, say, a grown child live with you, you know, we know that the cost of living is really expensive, and we're seeing a lot of older, uh, I want to say, young adults. Let's put it that way, moving in with their parents again to try and save money, but that comes at a cost. Yeah, and this is more anecdotal. So during the financial crisis, we had a lot more of that, where where children were moving in with our with our clients and their parents of their clients, and then we saw it in the pandemic as well. And now we're starting to see with with this robust job market, more and more, let's say, kids finding their feet and kind of leaving the home. And so we're actually seeing a trend to the other side, where unfortunately, we're seeing the the trend on the parental side, you know, taking care of aging, aging parents only increasing. I see. I see. So at what point uh, do you need to set boundaries for either side of, of the sandwich here? Yeah, and that's, and that's the clear the clear piece to all of this. So having clear communication with your parents, knowing quite well, like the vast majority of our clients' parents are, are, are resistant for help and assistance, whether it's financial or, or time from that standpoint. And with your kids, oftentimes that's just, that's just a direct conversation because you can have this sort of trampoline, if you would, for kids where if they hit it, you know, you're there to support them. You just don't want that to be a hammock and them just kind of hanging around the house. So oftentimes we tell our clients, blame us, right? Blame the planner. Like, let's see what the, what the children's budgets are and where they're spending because you as our client is watching it. So having that clear communication and expectations on, on timelines is really important. 
And really, it's that tough love that's going to benefit both you and your kids in the long run. Yeah, and that's a hard one. So that's something I ascribe to, you know, when in doubt, you know, just, you know, just kind of push them off the nest and and see what happens. But, you know, again, it's hard from a parent standpoint, you always want to be there for your kids, right? That's, that's the ultimate goal. But you have to realize when, when being there is now costing you your own financial security and your own financial future. And that's why having a good financial plan to understand where all of these different elements come in in terms of those kind of helping or you're needing to help financially really come into play and provide peace of mind for you, who's the caregiver and the potential uh, financier, if you would, of the family. Great advice. Thanks so much, Ed Jertson, certified financial planner and founder of Engage Wealth Group. You can join us at this time tomorrow for Travel Tuesday and still to come, a pair of picks from a money pro. Money Talks as the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Well, it's Stock Picker Monday, and joining us with a pair of picks today is Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast newsletter based in Hammond, Indiana. Chuck, glad to have you with us. What's your first pick? Well, both picks actually are – I'm playing a little bit of defense here given the way the market has been behaving, and they're both in the utility sector. The first pick is Ottertail. The symbol is O-T-T-R. The stock trades for about $69 a share. Ottertail is based in Minnesota and provides electricity services in, in Minnesota, North Dakota, and South Dakota. But the company has kind of a kicker in that it also has a pretty substantial non-regulated business in the manufacturing, metal fabrication, uh, plastics, and PVC piping. So they have this this non-utility business that provides kind of a kicker to their growth prospects. Earnings estimates have risen for uh, 2022 and 2023. Uh, the stock has pulled back from its 52-week high of about $82. As I said, it's trading for about 69 Yields about 2.4%, so you get a bit of dividend yield there. It's a nice way to kind of play uh, the utility sector, which tends to be a little bit defensive, but still give yourself a growth component with its non-regulated business. So that's Ottertail, symbol O-T-T-E-R. And your second pick? Second pick, also in the utility sector, but a little bit of a different slant again. That company is National Fuel Gas. The symbol is NFG. Uh, It's based in New York. The stock trades for about $70 a share. National Fuel Gas is kind of an integrated natural gas company. It has, uh, yes, a gas utility business, um, but it also has uh, gas exploration and production pipeline and storage. So uh, with its regulated utility operations. It also has non-regulated energy uh, operations, which should give it a little bit of a growth flavor relative to other uh, utility stocks. Uh, Earnings are expected to show pretty good growth this year and especially next year. And the estimate trends, earnings estimate trends have been pretty positive. You get a dividend yield of 2.8%. So that's national fuel gas, symbol NFG. And as disclosure, our firm uh, own and our clients do own both of these stocks. Appreciate the picks. Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services, based in Hammond, Indiana. If you missed any part of today's noon business hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and on the Odyssey app. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.